Welcome back to the Leaders Who Love What They Do podcast. I'm joined today by Mike Thorne. Absolutely delighted to have him on the podcast with me. And he's joining me all the way from the US, right across the pond. So thank you so much, Mike, for joining me. No, Anne, thank you for having me. I look forward to it. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'm delighted that you're with us and uh, you bring such a lot to the table. And I really want to dig in and talk to you about your leadership. You have so much experience in that. And you also are a coach now working with CEOs. So we're going to dive in to both of those areas in a little bit. I think it's very important to notice as well that you're also very sporty. So that that is an important part of of your approach and we will come back to that too. So just before we we get into that side of things, I know that your your mission is is very clear around uh, sales and sport and leadership. And so what brought you along this career path, would you say? Well, when I was nine years old, my parents sat me down and they looked at each other and then they looked at me and said, Michael, we just want you to know you're adopted and we love you very much. And it was literally like a bomb went off and really my whole self-worth was shattered. And it was very, very difficult to hear that. I, I My self-worth went away and I had an opportunity shortly thereafter to watch a Hank Aaron, who's a United States baseball player, break the most prestigious home run record in baseball, but also in sports. And at the moment I watched that as he was going around the bases, I thought to myself, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a professional baseball player. And that's how I really got into sports. And I found the arenas, the gyms and the parks was the first place I could be myself and be who I was. And ever since then, I've always enjoyed being in the arena, so to speak. Yeah, that's such a powerful story, Mike. And so sport is obviously it's more than just keeping you fit. Exactly. Yeah, no, it was the one place where it ended up being something was a lesson learned later on. But what I found in sports early on was if you performed and you were capable, the coaches would come coach, teach and develop you. And for someone who struggled with abandonment and struggled with trust, I felt like, okay, I had to be perfect no matter where I was. But on the sports field, those coaches would give you so much help. I found, okay, if I'm going to perform and I do my work here, they're going to teach me and develop me. So sports really became a great foundation in many ways because of that. With that kind of sport, obviously, that's um, teamwork. I'm wondering whether was that something that helped as well, the fact to be part of a team? Yeah, because you are out there, you know, all of us go through this phase in life, every stage of our life, I call you, you have to belong first, build the confidence and believe in yourself. And I don't care whatever, whether it's sports, life or work, you do go through those phases and belonging really matters in sports because if you don't, you just won't step up and, and be there. So when you go to sports and your teammates start to help lift you up and they care about you and they support you and they say, you got this, that belonging feeling is enormously powerful. It opens you up to feel confidence, to listen to other ideas, to help you get better so that build your confidence and then you start to believe and so no matter what sport it is, no matter how old you are, you continue to have that fear of, do I belong at each level? But those teammates, because everyone's trying to get to the same place. And I think that's what's so powerful about sports is you may be, you may look differently, you may have a different background, speak differently, but if you can help the team get to where they want to go, you get accepted uh, in the sports arena. And that's one thing I always enjoyed about it. Yeah, and and we'll we'll definitely um, come back to that um, in a, in a little bit, and um, because you know I think that in coaching in the in the language around coaching we often uh, talk about sport, don't we, as coaches, and we we often look at it, you know, as you as you just uh, identified there about having a common goal and also and giving that support. I'm wondering, are there other leadership lessons that we can adopt from the world of sport? Do you think? 
Yeah, I think sport is an area where coaches, because that's what they are, they're coaches, they would have a propensity to try to understand you as a human being, because not everybody is inspired the same way. Some people do want the tough love and some people need to be treated a little differently. So I would say the thing that sports can teach us is how well do you understand whether it's a family or your work environment, being people that work for you or people around you, if you don't take the time to know the personal stories of people, then how in good God gracious, you're going to be able to help them elevate and get better themselves and also help you go where you want to go on that journey. So in sports, it is a talent that a lot of good coaches have. They know and understand how people what really gets somebody going and it's very unique yet in business and even your home life, you're going hundred miles an hour. You're not taking the time to invest in people in that way. And I think that's a big lesson that we could take from sports. When leaders in business start doing that, really showing that, uh, showing that interest and curiosity and care really is I think what you're saying as well. What, what do you, what happens in business? Well, typically until they feel that way, and I'd be a good example of that I was 40 years old, I'd just gotten fired from a job as the dream job as president of a sporting goods company. And I really got, it was like being hit by a two by four. And when I went to my next company, I was very blessed to work for someone who was in leadership, but also was in learning and development. And she taught me a very valuable lesson. She said, Mike, because you're, you have these abandonment and trust issues, your standards are so high, your team is going to be compliant with you instead of being committed to you because they don't feel like they understand you. They don't understand who you are. They don't get it. So you're going to comply with you, which is why statistically over 70% or roughly 70% of people today in jobs are doing just enough to not get fired. Just enough not to get fired. So your ability to take people from that to that commitment level, I believe is requiring you to spend time to get them to know as human beings, what is their story? Where are they coming from? How are they doing that day? And that's simple stuff, walking around the office. How was your weekend? Asking about their kids, their family. And the more you understand what's going on, when you need to push and when you need to deliver results and it's going to be a harder message or something difficult is going to come, those people will stand up and they'll say, you got it. We're right there with you versus, okay, here we go again. Big difference. So I think the compliant commitment is the big difference I would say when you get to understand people you make it sound quite easy Mike you know walking around the office and having a little chat and uh, if it's you know if it is that easy and and I, I absolutely agree with you but why is it that people find that difficult to do well because we all many of us have a lived experience so in my case this adoption fear of abandonment lack of trust made me feel like I had to be perfect so the moment I have to walk around the office and talk about myself good funny bad whatever going it's very uncomfortable and I struggle with that mightily until I was given the cues to go do that because I always felt like if I opened myself up people would think less of me and say well this person obviously can't lead this company And so I believe that so many people are sitting in positions in a company and they're holding themselves back because of some lived experience. It could be they were taught something at a young age, you know, don't ask for help or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. There's a lot of that. Mine is very specific. Others have trauma that may have happened. So I think that is why it is so hard. And you also would say you're not rewarded for doing that in business. 
There's the profit and loss piece of business and your ability to deliver on that and keep the balance sheet correct is what everybody focuses on. To me, the P&L that people are not taught. So when they get into leadership positions, they have no confidence or understanding how to do it is the people and listening. And they are not strong in that because they haven't done their own balance of themselves. Like they've never sat down and said, who am I? What am I about? Where's my strengths? And where am I going to need some help? And they're afraid to ask for help. And I believe outside of I love you, the three most powerful words in life are I need help. And it's very hard, isn't it, for very senior leaders to say that and to ask for that kind of help. And as you say, it is very vulnerable, isn't it? Walking around, there's no agenda. There's, uh, you know, you don't know what's going to come up. And uh, it requires also a certain, I think, a certain energy. Would you agree? It requires a, a kind of a stillness at the same time to be able to have that availability in the moment rather than rush, rush, rush. You hit on something right there. And that's the other thing is energy really matters. I think statistically, and I don't have a reference to this, but I did hear this from someone who does a lot of speaking. I think the number was 78% of a leader's success is unrelated to what they say. It's more related to how they behave, the mannerisms, how they speak, and the body language. And so simple things, that was a boss of mine was telling me a story that he went to a company And his assistant said to him, you know, John, you always walk the same way when you come to the office. And he's like, well, of course I do. It's the shortest way to get to my office from the front door. And and she said, but you realize half the employees never see you. And at first he's like, well, well, they know who I am. And she's like, no, no, they don't get a chance to see you. And John told me when he started changing the way he walked, simple, hi, how are you? Putting a name of the face, acknowledging people, make them feel worthy just was an incredible elevation uh, of the employees just feeling like, oh my God, John came by. And whether you're managing, whether you're a director or a VP or a president or whatever you, that matters. Yes, it, it sounds easy, but it's hard because people are not trained or been comfortable with that and don't understand themselves well enough. I believe that's the biggest thing we're being, we're asking people to implement all these new diversity, equity, inclusion ideas, all very needed but you're asking somebody who has no understanding how to actually, how to implement all this themselves because they're struggling with themselves. So little conversation about the individual. And I believe if you don't get to that story, like tell me your story is so powerful and people will share with you then you know where they're coming from. And so when you need to push or you need to have them ask for help, they'll open up more and you'll be able to get more out of them, I believe, in my experience. Yes, I think you raise a a very interesting point just before is that you said that they weren't, they're not rewarded for that, for showing that behavior. And it it just, I was just thinking about that uh, just now and thinking, yes, it's very interesting. You don't see on that, you don't see on strategic planning documents. I want to get to know my team better. It's, and yet, as you say, this is the, this is the key thing. So is there something, even more fundamental about how businesses run, in fact, about what we value, what we report, what we measure? Well, I think when you take a look at most companies, they're measuring things by the financial and operational results of the business. And as long as the company's performing well, the feeling is we don't need that. We don't need to spend time in that. We don't have time for that. When in fact, if you realize people spend 13 to 15 years of their life just watching TV. And so when a company says we don't have time for that kind of stuff, that's not true. There's People have time. It's just a matter of whether you value that. But when a company's performing well, they don't see the need to go do that. And what they're missing is underneath 
underneath the surface. And this is becoming quite clear as we come out of the COVID world and people call it mental health or whatever, but I think we're realizing how valuable that is. And so we typically deal with the symptoms, which is the outcomes, people changing jobs. Oh, these kids, the young employees don't care. It's like, no, let's go back to the root of this. Let's go back to what the actual root of what's going on here, not the symptoms and that's what is not being touched on and getting valued. And now that we are doing that in a lot of cases, most leaders have no idea how to actually implement this or talk about it. And it's just, it's a missing link right now in business. And when they do do that, I mean, I'm sure with the people that you've worked with, they're starting to do that or have been doing it now. What is the impact both not, I mean, we can imagine the impact on the employees, but what is the impact on the leader themselves? Well, first of all, you've got to make sure it's genuine and authentic, which may sound very simple, but a lot of leaders struggle with it because they feel so awkward. But if you're genuine and authentic, first and foremost for the leader, and I will speak for myself having experiences, it's like you have this hundred pound anvil on your shoulders. It just goes away Mm. and you can start to lead in a very, a very authentic way. So for example, you're going to have to go through a major change. You're nervous about delivering to the company. And the tendency would be, well, I'll just do it on a Zoom call. I'll send an email. We just have to do it. It is what it is. When reality is, if you can get in front of your audience because you've built that authenticity and you say to people, look, here's what's going on. So here's the situation. Here's the impact on the business. And here's the behavior we're going to have to go forward with. And if people believe that you've given them a picture of what's happening, so they're like, oh, wow, this is really, we have to do something about it. And they know you better because you've done the work and you're authentic. They're going to hear you. They're going to hear you loud and clear. And say, okay, what do I, what can I do to help us? get through this versus, oh my God, you're a bunch of idiots. Why are we doing this? How did this happen? So to answer your question, that's really where you can start to lead in a different way and start to open up a little bit of what's going on. And depending on the company, you've got to be careful what you can or can't share. I actually had an employee tell me that when I was president of a business, she came in for something else and said, before we start, she said, I want you to know that Mike, we understand only one person makes a decision, just the way the business has to work. And she said, we don't always agree with every decision you make, but we respect the fact that you walk us through what the situation is, what the options that were considered, and that you reached out to others to get some feedback on what might work best for the team. And then you share with us the decision. We appreciate that. And we value that very much. And we're more willing to go help you get to, we need to get to because of that. That was 15 years ago, one of the most powerful pieces of feedback I got from someone who was in our inside sales team. Yeah, so it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Just moving perhaps slightly away from that, and because I know in your work at the moment with Vistage, you you bring together CEOs to support each other as peers. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that and, and also how we can help CEOs to not feel so lonely at the top. It, it's something that we hear quite a lot about, and I know it's, some, it's an area that you're interested in. So Vistage is all about helping people be become better leaders and make better business decisions at the end of the day. The way Vistage works, it's a little unique in the sense that everybody in the group, 12 to 16 people are not in the same industry. So many leaders just refer to people in their industry and, hey, what's going on? What are you doing versus this? When you get into a group of people and if you build a nice, safe environment and people start hearing from others, different sized businesses, it could be 5 million to 100 million or above of that. And they go, wow, we're all tackling the same challenges and we're dealing with the same things. It allows them to feel vulnerable enough to start 
start to open up. And there's a lot of people that talk about, well, we need a work-life balance. I'm not in that camp. I believe they're too intertwined. Your business, your personal life are way too intertwined. There's not, it. the question is the harmony. And so how do you do both? And when you're in a group like this, whatever it is you're wrestling with, Vistage does a great job. And people say, I walk in as a CEO to a Vistage meeting and I walk out as a human being. Yeah, so that, that peer support is, is really vital, isn't it? Yes. When you're working with those CEO groups, what, what would you say you yourself, what, to, what do you get from that? Me, I enjoy working with people that have not had the opportunity to get any sort of training or development. They are people that are subject matter experts who just grew up in the business. Either they inherited from their parents or they started from scratch. And so they, they're just subject matter experts. But they've never been trained or given tools that allow them to become a bit uh, overall business leader. And I'm excited because I've spent my whole career getting tools and development from other people and to be able to share that along with learning from them because their stories are amazing about how they built these businesses and work through. So I enjoy both parts of one is being able to give back to them, but also to hear them share. And it really helps me stay humble. I really feel grateful to have these people as business owners in the community because these people care about the community. So I, I love both sides of that. And what I, I love, Mike, is your mission to unleash the inner greatness of leaders. For CEOs, what do you think are the main issues that hold them back? You've already mentioned a few things. But are there other things, are the main blocks? The biggest one besides the isolation, obviously, they have no one to talk to about what they're wrestling with. And so we use this analogy that people's we have to slow the RPMs down. Like people are going so fast up here. Yeah. that allows their MPHs to go faster. And so one of the things that when you're working in a group of peers like this versus on your own is you're wrestling with all these things and just to have a group of people to even just say, yeah, I'm on the right track or I need to rethink this is so powerful. So that's one of the things that CEOs are wrestling with. They have a lot of ideas. They have a lot of fears. They have a lot of possibilities of what they want to go do. But most of them do not have any place where they can actually talk to someone in a comfortable way without feeling like they're being judged. And because they've been successful, their fear of actually sharing these thoughts and fears and concerns in their company they don't have those people and they don't want to go home and talk to their spouse about it. In some cases, the spouse may not have any context to help them. So I think they're just resting. Their mind has got a lot of things going on and they have no outlet to try to think through like, what is the right decision here? And it could be a personal one. It could be a business. It could be, how do I exit the business? Do I want to sell it or not sell it? So there's just all these things they're wrestling with. And some of that is based on the fact that they have a lived experience that holds them back, as I mentioned earlier. In other cases, that may not be it. They just don't have anyone to talk to and get some feedback. Yeah, so being able to take that step back and having a having a sounding board. Well, the time is is running away with us, Mike. And I'd like to just ask you a final question. What would what would be your top tip to CEOs? I would ask people when you get up in the morning, do a few things differently. My experience can most CEOs wake up, they look at their email, they're, they're worried about what happened last night. What do I got to fix? What's the problems I'm going to encounter? Get up in the morning. I have a favorite. It's uh, the Book of Stoics by Ryan Holiday. It's a paragraph or two in the morning, and it's usually just some thought starters for the morning and just pause and then reflect. If you do those things in the morning, I believe you can start your day off in a better frame of mind versus jumping into your emails and all the business issues you're going to deal with in the day. And then exercise would be the last thing I would say. Okay. Yeah. So a good, a good morning routine. 
Mm-hmm. simple yeah yeah fabulous fabulous well thank you so much mike it's, that was been really interesting and uh and very interesting to really dive into the position of ceos and and the the problems that uh, that they're often facing so thank you so much for for coming on the show and talking to us about that i'm sure there'll be people who want to contact you um how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you well, the two best ways are I have a website, mikethorn.co, and then I'm very active on LinkedIn. People do communicate to me a lot on LinkedIn. Either one of those would be the best for now. I've got a book coming out in a few months, but those would be the two best for right now. Tell us about the book. What's the title? It's still being in, in finalizing the title, but it is, it's a life story. I'm a big fan of just sharing life stories, both the personal professional experiences versus giving people a list of 10 things to do. So it is going to be about my experiences. And then this idea about building personal trust communities, which are those people that you surround yourself in life uh, across all of your health and well-being areas. So physically, intellectually, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. And I'm just going to take people on that journey and they're going to be able to see it through my eyes in terms of my life, but then they can figure out how they're going to apply it to theirs. That'd be the the story of the book. Oh, brilliant. Well, uh, congratulations on that coming out and do do let me know when that's out and I'd be happy to share it uh, um, with the people who are listening here and also with our email list. So I'll make sure that all of that information is in the show notes. So if you're listening, do go to the show notes to to make contact with Mike. Do let us know also what you've enjoyed and te- what your takeaway is from this episode. We'd love to know. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for joining us. Well, thank you, Anne, for having me on and for all the great work you're doing. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And uh, to all our listeners thank you for tuning in and join us again to meet another leader who loves what they do bye-bye